Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Can God Bless America? For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now... Here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. My message today, happy July the 4th, by the way. Can God bless America? I'm going to give you the short answer right now is yes, God can bless America. But build an ark anyway. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people in his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower and middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, and you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Many parallels to our current time. Earth was corrupt. We don't have to look very far to see the corruption that is in our world. The corruption that is in in commerce, business, politics, uh, even religion. We don't have to look far to see that. That's what's Noah's time. Noah was 10 generations from Adam and Eve. 10 generations from Adam and Eve, and the earth was is in bad a shape as probably as it is today. God had to redeem the earth, and the only way he could redeem it was to do was to send a, a flood that would be a, would be a sign of his judgment. Now, let's ask ourselves the question, though, can God bless America? Does God care about nations? Does God care about nations? There's a sense among some people that God doesn't care about nations and doesn't have a plan for nations and nation families and the different tribes of the earth. Well, our founders believed God wanted to bless America. They really did. I'm not saying they were all Christians or Christ followers. Many of them were deists. But they, one thing they had in common was our founding fathers believed that God had a plan for America. Let me give you some quotes from some of the signers of the Constitution. Samuel Adams said, God who gave us life gave us liberty. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we've removed their only firm basis? A conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are of the gift of God. That they are not to be violated, but with its wrath. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. Samuel Adams. Benjamin Franklin 
said, here is my creed. I believe in one God, the creator of the universe, that he governs it by his providence, that he ought to be worshipped. By the way, Ben Franklin was not a, a follower of Christ, but he loved the evangelist George Whitfield, and he used to go sit on the corner of the Boston Common, listen to George Whitfield preach the gospel, and George Whitfield would preach to crowds of 20,000 people, if you can imagine it, in the Boston Commons. John Adams said in his autobiography, suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited, every member would be obliged in conscience to temperance, frugality, and industry, to justice, kindness, and charity toward his fellow men, and to piety, love, and reverence toward Almighty God. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be. Alexander Hamilton, don't think you would call him a Christ follower, but he was a man who believed in God. He said, I've carefully examined the evidence of the Christian religion, and if I were sitting as a juror upon its authenticity, I would un un unhesitatingly give my verdict in its favor. Benjamin Rush, another signer of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, said, the gospel of Jesus Christ prescribes the wisest rules for just conduct in every situation of life, happy they, who, happy they who are enabled to obey them in all situations. Patrick Henry, famous man who said, give me liberty or give me death, said it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that the great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, people of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. Patrick Henry. Again, John Adams said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Now, uh, later I want to refer to a verse in Romans chapter 1 where God outlines a group of people that he had turned over to um, things that would bring them back to him, actually. It was a, a form of his discipline, that he, the group of people he disciplined. One of the things he says about those people is that they chose not to retain God in their knowledge. I believe it's Romans 1.21. They chose not to retain God in their knowledge. While we cannot say that all our founding fathers were Christ followers or Christians, some of them didn't, didn't follow God. They believed God was sort of up there. They were called deists. In other words, God was outside of the system, that he had created the system, but he lived outside of it and didn't necessarily in, interject himself in our private lives. But one thing we have to say about our founding fathers and those who built this great country, one thing we have to say about them is they chose to retain God in their knowledge. That's why they would put on our coins in God we trust, because they chose to retain God in our knowledge. And they chose and they, they believed, rightly believed, that human rights, the idea of human rights, and the idea of empowering the weak, the idea of empowering the weak and empowering victims came from God and came, in fact, from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, my first point, 
is that our founding fathers believed that God had a plan and a promise and a blessing for this great country. The Bible also teaches that God wants to bless America. For it says in Psalm chapter 33, verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Those who are extreme globalists today no longer believe that God has a plan for nations. They believe that the, only, that the ideal is that nations be dissolved. That national identities be, be uh, uh, dissolved. And that there only be a global identity. But this is not biblical. The biblical record, and I'm going to give you several other verses. I, I, could, I could give you uh, an hour of verses, but I'm only going to give you a few verses, a few passages of scripture that shows us that God does have a plan for nations. That You see, how many of you are familiar with the Tower of Babel? Okay. Genesis, I believe it's chapter 11. I get my chapters mixed up there, but I think the flood was chapter 6. I believe, the, I believe the, uh, 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 it was uh, chapter 11 that God confused the languages. God had a plan for giving us na national and racial identities. That was God's plan. And I, I'm not saying everything that's happened as a result of that is right. I'm not saying even our founding fathers were right. We know they were not. We know that the sin of racism was a part of the founding sin of our country. We know that. And uh, I'm very thankful that that began to be addressed in, in our code of law as time went on. But it's been a very long and slow process. So I can lean into that and I can understand that. And I can totally, totally understand that. Why uh, you might have a problem with our history. Uh, I have a problem with a lot of things about our history as well. I have a problem with some of the history of my own denomination that I'm a part of, the Assemblies of God. We didn't do the right thing where race was concerned in, uh, in the early 1900s, in the, uh, the, the early 20th century. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for nations, that God doesn't have a plan for tribes. So God there at the Tower of Babel, he confused the languages. He gave this one group Spanish, and he gave one group Portuguese, and he gave one group English, and he gave, I don't, I don't know, Hebrew. I, he gave all these different languages so people could not communicate, so they had to scatter across the earth and form separate communities. God had a plan for separate communities. That doesn't mean God doesn't want unity. That doesn't mean God doesn't want us to love and support each other, but God had a plan. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, and the day of Pentecost, the Bible says there were those gathered from every nation on the earth. Let me give you some more scriptures to prove to you that God has a plan and God wants to bless America. Isaiah 60, 12 says, for the, nation of the king, for the nation or kingdom that will not serve you will perish. It will be utterly ruined. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Micah 4, 3, he will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. Now this is talking about at the very end of the age, the very end of time. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. That's something to say amen about, that's for sure. But it also, it also underlines the point that until the end of time, there will be nations. That was God's plan. Then there's Revelation, my favorite, Revelation 22.2. Down the middle of the great street of the city, talking about the new Jerusalem that's coming down to earth. 
You know, God's plan is to give us a new heaven and a new earth. You know that? That's what God is, that's what we're a part of. We're a part of the renewal of the new heavens and the new earth that God is doing. We're a very exciting part of it, and that's why we don't completely identify with any group. We don't completely identify with any group. We can lean in, and we can be compassionate, and we can care, and we should, but we are the body of Christ. Amen? I love this verse. Down the middle of the tree, the great city of the street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. God is going to heal the nations of the world, not dissolve them. God's love is unconditional, but God's blessing is not. Now here's where the rub comes in. God's love is unconditional, God's blessing is not. God leans over from the balcony of heaven to bless us. And sometimes he tries to bless us, but he has to hold his nose. Because we're stinking to high heavens. Romans 1.28 talks about a people that God could not bless. It says, they did not think it worthwhile to retain God in their knowledge. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of weakness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. He could have written that today, right? They are gossipers, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. That's where we live. This past week, CNN commentator and brother of New York Governor Como said, Chris Como said, if you believe in one another and you do the right thing for yourself and your community, things will get better in this country. You don't need help from above. It is within us. I beg to differ with Chris Como on that. We are, we're, <laughs> if anything, guys, the jury's in. The jury's in. We cannot do this on our own. <laughs> you, you know, I'm sure a lot of people thought, if we can just get everyone to talk to one another, if, if, we, if we can just get everybody communicating, we would, you know, get the politicians out of the way and us just us citizens, if we could just start interacting with one another, on a, have complete access to one another, and we could share our ideas, we would create utopia and heaven on earth, and brotherly love would just prevail. So, God gave us the internet. God gave us Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And how's that working out, as Dr. Phil would say? Not good. <laughs> we're destroying each other. We're, we're, we're literally ruining each other's lives. I mean, if, if we find out... That, that, you, that you said a bad word 30 years ago, we will, we will get on the internet and we will destroy your family, your job. We will destroy you. We are cancel culture on steroids. That's one thing I really, and I have to take a little side trail here. As Elise said it a while ago. And I do think we need to address the sins of our culture and the sins of our lives. But I think where the church is 
is finding a, a space in the current cultural discourse is yes, we condemn the sins. We condemn uh, the, the sins of bigotry and, and racism. Uh, yes, we, we must do that. We must have a loud voice in that arena. But you know, here's, here's where we have, here's where I think we have a corner on the rest of the world. And that is we have a loud voice in creating a space of grace. Amen. A, place, a place where you could actually be forgiven of your racism. You could actually be forgiven of your bigotry. You could be forgiven of your hate. Be forgiven of your anger. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what that ark that I'm going to get back to in a moment stood for. It stood for a different, it stood for a third way. I, 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 I may have to just jump into it now. It's later in my notes, but I, it's, it's just compelling me. It stood, that ark that Noah built stood for a third way. You see, he, he had a culture that had become violent, and, and I, I know you see it every day on your television screens and on your computer screens, the violence that is spreading across our country. So Noah, Noah had a choice. He could have joined the violence, or he could have taken his family and gone and hid in the mountains somewhere. That's the choices that he had. But he chose the third way, which was to stand up and speak the truth in love and build an ark and build a third alternative to the alternative of running away and escaping or joining the violent, immoral culture that his culture had become. And that's what the church represents today. We represent a third way. And it's the way of creating a space of grace and a space of hope for the world that's around us. The evidence is clear. Without the restraining influence of humbling ourselves before God, we're corrupt. I read the other day that one single porn site receives 42 billion visits a year. 100 million visits a day, posts 6 million new videos each year, and it would take 106 million years for one to view them all. If we had children's church, I could tell you more. <laughs> but it will make you throw up at what is happening in our world. Um, we've, we aborted 50 million babies since Roe v. Wade passed in 1973. We aborted around 3,000 babies per day in the USA. As I mentioned before, social media has been a vast experiment on whether we would be civil and love one another if we had greater access to one another, and we have proven we cannot be reasonable and civil to one another. Even the autonomous zone established in Seattle a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago, or three weeks ago, whenever that happened, the mayor touted as a summer of love, ended with, I think, 10 people shot, I don't remember exactly the numbers, two died. Uh, by a political faction that most supports gun control. Go figure. The problem is not whether you're conservative or liberal. That's not the problem today. The problem is that we are shaped in sin and born in iniquity. 
So whether you're, whether you're a conservative that believes everybody should have a gun in their gun rack in the back of their pickup truck, a real gun, or you're a liberal who doesn't believe, believe all the guns should be confiscated, for some reason, when you get upset, you find a gun and you kill somebody with it. Because the problem is not, the problem is the human heart. The human heart, and only God can heal and change the human heart. In the fable of the wise king, Cahel Gibran tells about a powerful and wise and much-loved king who lived in a distant land. And in that land was a single well from which all, from which all the people had to draw their water. One night a witch poisoned the well so that all who drank the water would become mad. The next morning all the people of the land except the king and the, his ranking officials came as usual to drink from the well and did indeed go mad. Throughout the rest of the day, the people whispered to each other, Our king and his high officials have gone mad and lost their reason. We cannot be ruled by a mad king. He must be dethroned. Word of this got back to the king, and not wanting to offend anyone, he sent his officials to draw some water from the well, which they both then drank. And the people rejoiced, because their king had regained his reason. <laughs> Do I need to read it again? I kind of feel like you, you, did you get the point? The people drank from this well that made them mad. And when they became crazy, they decided their leader was crazy. So the way the leader adjusted was he drank the water that made him crazy. And then they didn't think he was crazy anymore. That's what's happened to our world. That, that's exactly what's happened to our world. We, the people, have gone and made terrible, immoral choices with our lives. And we put leaders over us who want to make us happy and want to get our vote. And so the only way they can rule us is to become as crazy as we are. Can God bless America? Yes. But America must repent. We must. I'm going to say something that maybe I'll later want to modify. I'm sorry. I can't think of a better way to say it. Because at one time I wouldn't have said this. I don't know if I'd have said this a year ago. I think we've got to return to two things. And the second one's hard for me to say. One, though, but let me say it anyway. Let me just say it. You're going to give me grace, so you're going to forgive me if it's not right. We need to return to God. We all agree with that. Number two, we need to return to guilt. We need to once again have the ability to feel ashamed of our behavior. In very narrow senses, that's being learned. We see that in the culture. People are confessing their certain sins. But we need to broaden that. We need to admit that our hearts are prone to wonder prone to leave the God we love, that we are sinners who need salvation. Listen, <laughs> we, we killed Jesus because he was sinless. That should tell you something about what humans are like. We killed Jesus because he, didn't ha he wasn't crazy enough. He was too good for us, so we killed him. That's the human heart, and Alexander Solzhenitsyn made this incredible observation 
He said the, the line between good and evil does not go through the line of politics in the state, but the line between good and evil goes through the middle of the human heart. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. That's the most basic doctrine of the church, and we need to return to it. If America won't repent, though, we sorrow not without hope. Our faith is in the creator, not the created. God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. God is waiting patiently now while the church of Jesus Christ is being built. Eight in all were saved. Now that may sound like failure, but that saved the human race. See, if God hadn't stepped in, humans were going to kill themselves. It was like a, it was like a, a, surgery, a surgeon doing surgery, removing a cancerous growth. Humanity was going to destroy. They were not only going to destroy the wicked and the evil, they were going to destroy the righteous people too. God's move was a move of mercy for the human race. God's move was so the human race could be saved. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith Noah built a ship in the middle of dry ground. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. The result, his family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. Hey, don't write out the ark as a fantasy. 300 cultures agree there was a catastrophic flood. 270 flood stories have been recovered from ancient different societies and told. According to John Sanford, Dr. John Sanford, geneticist and professor at Cornell University, over 30 years, there's a genetic evidence of a reduction in population around the time of the flood. There's also the sudden disappearance of certain species in the fossil record that point to a catastrophic event that caused everything to freeze. The mapping of the human genome, the discovery of the genetic code, and recent mathematical challenges to Darwinism have increased skepticism among the learned that we're the product of natural selection. I don't know if you've been reading or following, but Darwinism is on its heels. Intelligent design is becoming more and more, making more and more sense to people who have a lot more learning than I do. Someone said, living creatures prove the existence of a divine power. Romans 1.20 says, for the creation of the world, his divine attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. Listen, friends, but even if the story of the ark is merely allegorical, it points to a more important story of all time, and that is the story of the hope of humanity. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the ark is the perfect picture of the gospel. Everything in you believe and communicate about the gospel is in the ark. And every time you believe and communicate the gospel, you are building the ark. The ark was, first of all, a confusing symbol to the world as the cross was. The ark came with a message that called out, out our sin but offered redemption instead of condemnation. The ark had one door, and only God could open and shut that door. And that door is Jesus, 
That door is Jesus himself. The ark is a perfect picture of the community of faith we call the church. Every time you support the church, improve the church, pray for the church, grow the church, invite people to church, you are building the ark. Matthew 16, 7, 18 says, On this rock, I, th that rock equals the confession that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Every time you confess it, you are doing it. He said, On this rock, the confession that Jesus is the Savior of the world, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? I'll admit it. I like the complexities of philosophical and social theories that most of you don't have the stomach for and don't have the time for. But you still want a solid place to build your life and to build your family. Then build it on this sentence. That sentence that was up there a minute ago. <laughs> on this rock. The confession. What is the rock? Simon Peter had just said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And maybe you don't have the interest, as I do, to try to find out the underlying philosophies underneath a lot of the evil that's going on in our world today. Though I think we need people who do that. We, we, uh, uh, one of the problems, and I don't mean to go off here, one of the problems in, evangel in evangelical Christianity is an anti-intellectualism. So a lot of times we don't know what we need to know. We don't know where evil is lurking in our culture because we, don't, we, we want everything to be simple. However, however, having said that, you don't have to study and get real deep. You can't get any deeper than Jesus is Lord. He is risen from the dead. He is Lord. Amen? Amen? That's deep enough. Let me close with this thought. You were created for this time in history. Don't miss your purpose. You will miss your purpose if you don't make Christ your Savior. It's like getting on the airplane, you know? And every time the steward or stewardess will give you that little speech, that little speech that says, in case the cabin loses pressure, put your oxygen mask on first. Step one in saving the world is saving yourself. Step one in saving the culture is finding your savior, your personal savior, and Jesus Christ, who, who, who came to earth to save the whole world, is happy to spend his day talking to one marginalized woman by a well. <laughs> he still saves the individual. He still believes in the autonomy of the individual. That any individual in any culture, in any place, in any time, no matter how bad or no matter how, how high and mighty, his amazing grace will spend the day with that one individual. You will miss the joy of your purpose if you hyper-focus on the sin of the world and not the Savior of the world. So you see, bad religion always spends all its time looking down on everyone's sin. All of its time. Bad religion always just focuses on everyone's failures. Good religion looks up to the redemption from our sins given by Christ. You will miss the joy of your purpose if you hyper-focus on the sins of the world 
and you ignore the Savior of the world. You will miss the joy of your purpose if you don't have people you are teaching the gospel to and building the ark with. Noah would have missed the joy of his purpose if he would only had himself go into the ark. But you say, well, he only saved eight people. What if everybody in this room would save eight people? What if every one of you would begin to teach the gospel to eight people or seven people? He was the eighth person, so we'll say seven. What if every one of you began to preach the gospel and teach the gospel and how to live the gospel to seven people? I would challenge every one of you this morning to find seven people that you're going to share the gospel with, teach the gospel to, and disciple and teach them to walk with Christ. How many would take that challenge this year? Amen? You will miss the joy of your purpose if you don't become intimate with God. I love that about the story. Noah became intimate with God. All this violence and craziness was going around him. It was, he, he had it worse than we do today. It just feels worse today because we get to watch it on, on screens every minute of our lives. Everybody that gets, you know, everybody that's, that's getting, every building that's getting burned out there, every building that's getting looted, every person that's dying, we're watching it. We're watching it on our screens, and it's traumatizing our nation. It's traumatizing people. But you know that's the only difference. I mean, it was people were killing each other, all kinds of immorality, and in the middle of the storm, the Bible says Noah became intimate with God. Take time to become intimate with God. You will miss the joy of your purpose if you don't understand. Ultimately, stand before Christ and hear Him say. Because you believed me, we, listen to this, I hope you'll get this, someday you'll stand before God. And I know you've always heard the phrase, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Well, let me, let me um, expand on that for you. Let me, let me expand that sentence to say what God is really saying. What Jesus is really going to say, he said, because you believed in me, we saved the human race. That's what we're doing in building the church of Jesus Christ and becoming the people of God. Listen, I have a lot of faith in America. I have a lot of faith in Americans. I love this country deeply. I don't buy into all the negativism. I don't buy into all the founding father bashing that's going on, though I don't deny their sins either. But... Uh, I'm worried about us as a nation. Can God bless America? Absolutely. Will we organize ourselves around the principle of God as Heavenly Father? Or will we continue blaspheming Him? That, that's actually more of an issue than some of the social issues that we need to resolve. That's what I don't know. When Jesus and His disciples were at the crossroads, the disciples were wanting Him to lead a revolution instead of, and set up a new government. That's what they wanted. And that's what it's all about when Simon Peter pulls his sword out and he cuts the Roman soldier's ear off in, in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said, put away your sword, and he healed the Roman soldier's ear. He was sending a signal. I know their heart sank because his followers were thinking, I thought he was going to start a revolution. They were ready, man. They had their swords. They were ready to go to war. They were ready to start rioting in the streets. And Jesus put the quietus on it and said, no, we're not going to do that. Also, Jesus 
could have led his followers into the hills around Judea and built a monastery where they said the Lord's Prayer three times a day and focused on personal holiness. Instead, Christ took the blows. He communicated grace and truth and went out showing the world the better way. In so doing, he saved the human race, just as Noah did. Today, will you agree to follow Jesus? My resolve is to build a gospel-saturated community that will, in my greatest hope, hold back the fire of judgment. And in the event our citizens won't listen, rise above the fires of judgment. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name.